to the Underhand Free Throw. It's a basketball podcast with Ian and Simon. I'm Ian. And I'm Simon. And we are just sitting here exhausted from the the flood, the waves of news about transactions, about teams clearing up their their luxury tax situation, the the incredible abundance of second round picks, the cornucopia of second round picks being swapped all over the place and sent in large amounts from team to team. That's right. It is the NBA trade deadline, which is just passed, I guess, like 23 minutes ago as we start this recording. So still a little bit of news. Yeah. Maybe like there's one final tweet to come out, you know, just something that happened at like 2.59 Eastern right before the deadline. But, at a, you know, we should be pretty much done with all the yeah, I'll keep the I'll keep the Twitter up in case we need to deliver any breaking news that you'll get, you know, like a day and a half after the fact. But we're going to yeah, we're going to go through everything basically starting from the first like technical trade deadline trade from yesterday and just go through every transaction. We won't go in depth on all of them because not all of them are as uh, big drama as the others. There was no there's no trade that happened today that you think of as like a big trade. There's definitely no like blockbuster trade that took place. Right. I mean, not that should affect a championship contention, a team that's in championship contention. Um, the Pistons made several moves, and we'll get into that. So that kind of marks you know, a change of direction for the franchise. Um, yeah. Obviously, they're not really all that relevant when it comes to when it comes to the playoff picture this year. But I, I think there's there's a couple teams that are maneuvering a little bit in like a free agency. Could you imagine if one do you think it would be possible like one trade deadline like a team like imagine if the pistons were now in the championship picture like somehow they had clawed from you know whatever 10 wins or whatever they had this season and now are like i think with their new roster they could be sneaking into the playoffs and be a real contender i wonder if that's even possible like if okc tried to do that you know three years ago or something like that you know they had shea maybe like they had just drafted jalen williams or something like that like they probably could have if they just like went all out on on picks and extra assets and like grab some win now pieces and we'd be talking about them as a contender halfway through the season yeah i don't know if there's any teams that made like a significant roster shakeup move mid-season that won the title i'm sure it's happened i, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head though no, generally no. you know if a team is is in contention for a championship it's because the roster is already very good yeah, it's so rare that that a, that a trade deadline trade changes the champion pitcher. I think like, but they do happen. Like, I mean, like, I think the, I think probably the most famous one in recent memory is uh, is Rasheed Wallace back in two thousand and four going to the. Detroit oh yeah, was that the championship year? Yeah, yeah. I just, can never remember if that was the year before or it was the year they won the title. No, they were already like a really good team, not like not quite a contender, and then. Well, they were like, you know, they were like an Eastern Conference contender, which at the time yeah. meant nothing. That meant like you're the sixth best team in the NBA. And yeah. then they went and even when they made that trade, people weren't really talking about them as a as like a obvious contender. I mean, when they beat the when they beat the Lakers, it was a huge upset. I guess the other recent one, which is, felt kind of similar, even though it's a little bit more on the old man side of things, is 2019 when the Raptors picked up Marcus Gasol for Jonas Valanciunas and just kind of like. Yeah, that's true change because Jonas Valanciunas had been injured for a lot of the season and wasn't playing anyway so it's like it felt kind of like they were just like getting a whole new starter but even if they had Valanciunas he would have been like a you know a very it's a very big stylistic difference to add like a defensive anchor like that for a more like offensive geared player you can anyway, definitely make the case the Raptors would not have beaten the Sixers in the second round that year without Gasol so that's yeah that's that's very very possible 
But that was 2019. It is 2024. It's a whole new mm-hmm. trade trade deadline. Do you want to just do you want to just go there, like you know, go straight to this first Detroit Utah trade, or is there any like overarching yeah. themes you want to discuss? Well, there are a couple that I do want to discuss, but we can wait till that to the end because okay. it is more related to who didn't make moves during the trade deadline rather than who yeah. did. But yeah, the first the first major event that we had during. During the last 24 hours was the Jazz made a deal with the Pistons. The first out of several moves that the Pistons are going to end up making. Simone Fontecchio for a 2024 second round pick. It is the Wizards second round pick, which means it's probably going to be like 32 or 33 overall. So you could think of it as like a late first for Kevin Knox. So, you know, just a salary basically. So essentially, essentially they picked up kind of like, you know, end of the rotation player, but, you know, someone who's solid, someone who I think fills a need. Especially because they they we'll see later on they ended up shipping out Boyan Bogdanovich, so they opened up a spot for the kind of big Euro shooting forward. Yeah, when that I think Simon when si- I think Simon sent me news of this trade last night or whatever, and I, I was kind of making fun of the Pistons for having this habit of of all, like cornering discovering a market and then cornering it because they had this mm-hmm. big thing where they'd go after these like redraft big man busts by putting Marvin Bagley and James Wiseman, both number two picks, if I'm remembering correctly, yeah. um, you know, making a big priority of, of grabbing both of those guys. And the latest market they were cornering was, yeah, like big Euro shooters because they already had Boyan Bogdanovich. They brought in Danilo Gallinari in a, in a trade like, you know, from about a month ago and, and now Simone Fontecchio. And it just sounded like how many of these, I mean, Simone Fontecchio is the, is, is the youngest of any of these players. Yeah. That makes the most sense on the Pistons roster moving forward, I would say. Yeah. He's 28 years old. He was having like, not like a breakout season, but he had kind of bust out as a, as a really important player of like Utah's like kind of Mm -hmm. midseason success. Like he was indispensable with his shooting, unlocking a lot of lineups and that's something the Pistons had identified as like a, a failure of their roster is they they feel they can't play some of their young guys together because they don't have enough shooting on the floor when you've got like, you know, Jaden Ivey and Osser Thompson and Jalen Duran all trying to get on the floor together. It's really tough if you don't have shooters to put next to them. So, but I mean, losing, get, getting fun. And Cade, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I mean, to be fair, Jaden Ivey is shooting the ball better than Cade is this year. So. Um, and there's kind of no evidence that he is actually a good shooter in the NBA for more than like sort of a month of a month at a time. But either like, I mean, Boyan was always like, well, you know, we'll get to the Boyan trade pretty soon. But like Fontecchio can come right into that role again, is a little bit younger, can, you know, just sort of it's important that they keep putting shooting around. However, they like go about this team, obviously, like Jalen Duran and Osar Thompson and Cade Cunningham. And Jaden Ivey are their four most important young players, which means like shooting is the most important thing for Detroit. And they got that. How do you feel about Utah's return in this? Basically just acquiring a second round. It's okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's probably the best they're going to get if they've decided to move off of a couple of guys for draft assets, which they ended up doing this trade deadline. You know, an early second round pick is is fine. You know, especially if Fontecchio wasn't a guy that you're going to resign anyway. Just kind of a, a... a big, you know, a, a big trend to note on that's going to come up in so many of these trades is that like second round picks are the new first round picks. Like teams are not giving up first round picks for almost anything. Like I think we only yeah, saw I, 
one. I wonder if that teams. has anything to do with the quality of the drafts, you know, because like, you know, this year's draft, a lot of people aren't super jazzed on next year's draft is like, okay, you know, as much as you can project out a year in advance. Like, I, I don't know what the rationale is behind to like really holding on to these, like, especially for teams that are good, you know, like late first round picks, maybe teams have just kind of identified the value in getting like a rotation player on a four year you know, late first round rookie contract. I think that is like a super valuable asset. But at the same time, like the majority of those guys picked in the late first round are not going to be rotation players. So I am a little bit curious about like the hesitancy behind like teams that are that are good and could have upgraded a little bit this year behind not trading any picks. I think there's two big things happening here. I think one, there's a there's like there's a market scarcity on first round picks because like three or four teams have almost all of them. Like in terms of tradable picks, when you go yeah. when you go team by team, whether you're looking at like whether you're looking at the 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 Lakers, for example, or or the Clippers, or like these teams that have been part of big trades acquiring talent have sent so many tradable picks. Like I like like Dallas just traded away its its last tradable yeah. first round pick. Dallas was the one team. If you're if you're not familiar, listeners at home with like the rules around trading first round picks, you cannot trade picks in 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 subsequent drafts. So you can only trade your first round pick every other year, which means like once you've traded a few of those out into the future, you're you you can't trade anymore. You can't. You might still have your 2026 pick, but if you've already traded your 2025 pick, that is that's off the table sort of thing. So I think that's a big thing. The fact that there's just like not as many first round picks to go around. And I think that like feeling in a lot of front offices this year is like, oh, like championship teams are built through the draft a lot more commonly than like super teams are are assembled. And and I think that's like I think some teams are really feeling that the way they've like they'll give up a ton of assets to sort of like grab a star and end up with these janky rosters. And then they're just looking at like, you know, like the Nuggets just won and the and the uh, Bucks won recently. And obviously you have like the Golden State Warriors dynasty. And there's just a lot of like teams that have their best players come through the draft and then adding pieces to it obviously but a lot of them weren't weren't high picks you know i mean yeah yeah the celtics right i think tatum and brown are both top three picks but you know in the case of the nuggets Jokic was a second rounder Giannis was kind of mid first round you know even with the warriors like curry was seven and clay was 11 right these weren't like top of top of lottery so yeah um, yeah I, I mean i, I guess i just accumulate like in that frame of reference even a second round pick has value to some extent because it's just like another bite at the apple. But teams haven't been nearly as hesitant to hold on to those. So just kind of interesting. So let's, let's jump from a from a, a trade that a, a player that brought back one second round pick and get straight into a player that brought back two second round picks. Twice um, as valuable. <laughs> <laughs> and that is Xavier Tillman is headed to the Boston Celtics from the Memphis yes. Grizzlies for the aforementioned two second round picks. I believe that 2027 Atlanta and 2030 from Dallas. So these are mm-hmm. kind of deep future second round picks, but and Lamar Stevens for for salary purposes was thrown on the deal. I don't know. Lamar Stevens is still a young defensive player. Memphis might yeah. have a tiniest bit of interest in, in keeping him around. We'll see about that. But the big thing is that the Celtics added a playoff rotation level backup big man, a guy who actually started in the playoffs last year in the first yeah. round against the Lakers. <laughs> he put up eight points. points. <laughs> I mean, like he can defend, he can defend multiple positions. Mm. He's a, he's a heavy boy which I think the Celtics actually lack in a lot of like, you know, outside of 
Al Horford, all their biggest lineups are, you know, like Porzingis is, is not the strongest player and and like Tatum playing small ball four again, just not like going to be, it just gives you a, I I like this trade a lot for the Celtics because it allows them just, I think in the playoffs last year, we saw how important it was to be able to put out different lineups to match up with different opponents. Like you may not need, you may not need Xavier Tillman playing minutes in every matchup, but all of a sudden, yeah, you know, they go, they, they go up against Jokic and maybe like Horford gets in foul trouble earlier. It's like, okay, we've got another 250 pound body that we can put out there to keep Porzingis as a rim protector. And, and I think that's like the kind of depth that's really valuable in the playoffs. And Xavier Tillman is like, has obvious weaknesses, like really, really struggles to score the ball from basically anywhere, but he's like a smart player with defensive versatility mm-hmm. and some like, you know, a little, like a little bit of passing chops. I think he can fit in really well to a team that loves to just kind of generate open threes. Yeah. And he's a matchup big man. He, he doesn't really protect the rim. You know, there's not much verticality and he's pretty undersized. So, but I mean, he, yeah, he is strong. He defends his position. I do think it's relevant with the age of Al Horford as well. Cause we saw in the playoffs last year, Al Horford just kind of physically broke down over the course of the playoffs, <laughs> you know, especially in the heat series or I think there was a couple of games where Al Horford was over whatever, you know, didn't take yeah. a lot of shots, missed every shot he took, you know, just didn't have the legs to do anything on offense. Yeah, I do question doesn't... whether if that happens, whether Al Horford will actually be benched or have his role reduced. I'm not sure, but at least they have this option in case the Celtics are willing to go that direction. Yeah, they they wanted options. Boston did not have like salaries to trade for any like if anyone was expecting. Boston kept getting mentioned as like a, a pet, like a, a team that was going to add another serious rotation player. And I was just like, but what are they going to trade for it? They're like a team that has, you know, five, six guys on huge deals and no midside salaries to send to take anything back. Yeah. So I thought that this was like a really, I mean, just kind of like a steal. They didn't give, they didn't give up as much and they added someone who might play in their playoff rotation. So, yeah, I think that's a big win for Boston. And for Memphis, the collapsing ruins of of Memphis, they're just like, they're clearly, you know, they're, they're going to come up a couple times today. And... I, well, hold on. I will say just really quick, mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily love the trade for Boston because I didn't really think it addressed their biggest need, which is they only have two guards really on the roster. <laughs> Like Peyton who are, Pritchard, who can like dribble the ball and run an offense in some way. I mean, Peyton, Peyton Pritchard isn't really playable in a lot of playoff matchups. So. Did you think that they were eligible? Like, like who did you think they could have chased from a guard? I think Monte Morris would have helped the Celtics way more than Xavier Tillman. But Monte, like, but well, I guess he actually only brought back a second round pick kind of thing. Do they have the salary to get Monte Morris back? Like, did, like that's yeah, that's thing. true. They, Minnesota yeah, had to Monte spend Morris is two... making more. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe there just wasn't weren't any competent guards in the market that were on that cheap of a deal. It's funny too because they did send out like two of their young guys who theoretically could play guard. I mean, we mentioned Lamar Stevens is more of like an undersized forward, but they also they sent out Delano Banton this trade deadline as well. He wasn't yeah. in the rotation, but he was like you know theoretically a guard. So, I mean, the thing is like 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 Holiday and White are going to play. Uh, huge minutes they do like Peyton Pritchard and he has played minutes for them in the playoffs and then like Jason Tatum is you know sort of a guard in their offense the way they play a lot of the time I I mean if they could have I'm sure they really wanted to add a another rotation level guard I just imagine that when they yeah I mean the Celtics have 
the Celtics have one weakness, right? And that's their offense absolutely sucks at the end of quarters and late in games. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. That's their only weakness, right? And they didn't do anything to address it. So that's that's just why that's the one criticism I'd have of their trade deadline is you couldn't find someone who helps you on offense. And you know, yeah, maybe the trade wasn't there. They have they have two guards, but they also only have uh two wings and they also only have two bigs. So really like a depth add anywhere. I think I think yeah. was a, was a big deal sort of thing. Sam Hauser plays a lot of minutes, I and mean, we have no idea whether that's a, a playoff rotation guy either. Al Horford is thirty seven. Like I'm just glad they added something that is like you know could be a difference maker. So yeah. Well, the next trade was for the aforementioned aforementioned Monte Morris, and it was your team that picked him up. Sent out Shake Milton, Troy Brown, and a pick, and got. You know, like an actual competent backup point guard because Shake Milton wasn't cutting it, right? <laughs> and someone who can, you know, offer a little bit of. I don't. I mean, I don't know. I I expect he'll have a significant role. If he actually is able to stay healthy over the course of the rest of the season, which I, I sure hope that he is. And you know, his insurance in case Mike Conley um, either needs to take things a little easier the rest of the season, or if there's ever an injury there. Yeah, it's it's kind of one of those funny rare moments where like the front office and like the like the what the fans want is actually the thing the front office is interested. You know, like you listen to a lot of fan bases like screaming about what their team needs, and then the trade deadline rolls around or the draft rolls around, the team goes in a completely different direction, and the fans are flabbergasted. But there's always a lot more factors that fans don't consider. In this one, the fans in the front office were completely aligned. Everyone knew that Minnesota needed a backup point guard, another ball handler, a guy that doesn't turn over the ball. I think that's a a really big deal because this is a team that just like struggles with turnovers in general, especially from like their star players, you know, they're 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 28th in the league in turnovers. Not great. But Monte Morris again, if healthy and able to play a bunch of minutes, I think fits a whole bunch of interesting Minnesota holes and actions. Like he's such a good mid-range pull-up shooter and that's kind of something that no one is very good at in Minnesota. It's basically been banned from the offense just because like we, we really don't have the pieces where Monte Morris excels his whole career and coming off of dribble handoff actions, which we do like to run. But instead of like us trying to create threes or get to the bucket, Monte Morris can just pull up and generate a good look sort of like out of nothing. So I'm really excited about that. I think it's just we had other guards that were useful, like like Nikhil Alexander Walker has been huge for us, like defensively, and has like you know started hitting threes a little bit better. But he's still just kind of like an erratic decision maker, like Towns and Antar. So just having what we added one more like you know semi adult in the in the room. He's like he's not quite Mike Conley in terms of decision making with the ball, but he's just sort of like competent and solid and can still threaten a little bit with his scoring. So yeah, I hope he's healthy and I hope yeah. that that works out. Yeah, and one thing about Monte Morris I've always really liked is he's kind of one of the rare you know lead guards when he's in that position where he's the backup point guard coming into the game, where like he passes the ball and then he he doesn't like check himself out of the offense. Right, he's like constantly in motion. And yeah, the only concern is here is that he missed three months with like a quad strain or a calf strain. I can't remember which one. And and then when he came back, he didn't really play. I think anyone who's telling me they've seen Monte Morris 
play this year. I, I don't I don't believe them. I, I want them to mention the specific game they watch and give me specific plays because like if you're like I don't like no one's watching a ton of the Detroit. I'll I'll believe like Pistons fans, but basically like no one else because he's played nine games the most season. So hopefully he's like healthy. He won't be available for the for Minnesota's next game against Milwaukee, but then they've got three days off after that. So if if he's healthy and ready to play, we might see him against the Clippers or the Blazers after that. So I think this is one of the better trades of the trade deadline, just in terms of like here's a contender that added a meaningful piece that really could help them become a better team. And Minnesota's offense kind of sucks. So a, a piece that might like even just boost the offense a little bit could be, I mean, is a big deal for us. Like, like, like anything, anything's better than what's happening right now on the offensive side of the ball for Minnesota. Yeah, no, I'm in, I'm in complete agreement. The next trade that came up was I think the first one of today, the actual trade deadline day, which is Buddy Heald was dealt from the Pacers. Kind of everyone saw this one coming since the trade deadline last year, honestly. Uh, but he went to the Sixers, um, just a couple salaries, Marcus Morris, and three second-round picks. Yep. Here's our first three second-round pick deal. That's a bunch of them. And that is a 2024 Raptors pick, a 2029 Blazers pick, and a 2029 Clippers pick. I think also like this, you know, this trade deadline gets us our first 20, 30 picks being traded, which always like... Uh, you, mm-hmm. you can always track the passage of time by how, how distant the picks are. When I hear the year 2030, I'm like, that's a dystopian future. But I, but now NBA teams yeah. are, are trading first round, second round picks in 2030, which means it is just around the corner. It will be here soon. So, yeah, I mean, what, the big thing about this trade, and maybe we want to kind of amalgamate this with what kind of happened to some of these players after, because Marcus Morris wasn't done being traded for the day, but Buddy Heald... Yeah said at the beginning of the season that he wanted a contract extension or he wanted to be traded like that that came out right during training camp i think buddy healed has played very well on offense for the indiana pacers his movement shooting is a big part of what they do so it is kind of you know a team that is fighting to get into the is fighting for home court right now like you know like tyrese halberton just came back pascal siakam has been amazing for them so far to lose Buddy Heald right now feels like a bit of a step back for them, and they lose that ingredient to their to their powerful offense. But they knew they were losing him for nothing next year, and I understand why they felt like they needed to retain that asset or you know turn it into something. And uh, they did that. They got like a, they got three second round picks out of it. They and Marcus Morris and Furkan Korkmaz is an inconsistent, but like sometimes knockdown shooter with a bit of versatility. He catches Furkan on the right night, and he looks like a really great rotation player. And then he disappears for two months and doesn't do anything. So we'll see if he factors into the decision making. I think it's more likely they fill those minutes with young guys. They had Betty Mathurin, Mathurin waiting in the in the wings. I think there's gonna be they've been wanting to play Andrew Nemhard more minutes anyways. So now there's an easy way to do that. I think like, I guess it's a good trade for, for Indiana in the, in the, in the long term, even if I feel like it kind of hurts right now. What about the Sixers? I'm kind of wondering whether, you know, do they keep Kelly Oubre in the starting lineup or are they going to run three guards out there? It's really hard to keep track of the the Sixers for me and what the lineups have been with all their injuries. I'm like, who, yeah. 
what is the starting lineup in the Sixers? Because, I mean, Embiid's injury obviously has been brutal, but, you know, Batum has been out, Covington has been out, like Marcus Morris has sometimes played minutes and sometimes hasn't. Obviously, Kelly Oubre was out with that, like, mysterious car accident for a bit. The Sixers are in a bit of a rough, rough, you know, they, they've lost eight, seven, they've lost seven of their last eight games. Like it's a, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of a, it's kind of a tough time. And they've got, yeah, one, two, three, four, five. They've got four, they've got three starters out like with injuries right now. And Tyrese Maxey has missed some time too. So I think in, until DeAnthony Melton comes back, I think Buddy Heald might just come right in and start. They also traded away Patrick Beverly, which we'll talk about that. Yep. I don't know. I mean, I think like I'm hoping that Embiid is going to come back and play in the playoffs. So I think adding a movement shooter like goose, goose is the offense a little bit. But and they already had some nice defensive options. I mean, like the Sixers just need to get healthy. And I think if they get healthy, then Buddy Hill will be a nice bonus. Uh, he's definitely a player that boosts your offense and tanks your defense. Like, he, he, yeah, he, well, that like, was that was like my first observation. I'm like, um, with Embiid out, they know they're not going to be good on defense anyway right so they might as well just try to outscore people and stay afloat that way as long as they can yeah because the Sixers I mean besides that one funny year with Al Horford there's just never really a backup for Embiid um Paul Reed is in there doing his best like but I mean it'll be I mean hopefully Buddy Heald is like ready for some minutes and that that Nick Nurse will oblige because um, the question is whether they retain him going forward, but this does feel like a this year move. So like they count on Embiid being back and adding that extra shooting and just being another ingredient of the playoffs. But the Sixers defense has been okay. It's been good when DeAnthony Melton and Joel Embiid are both available to play. And Nick Batum obviously has been huge for them at times, but aside oh, yeah. But then they have a lot of like defensive holes on the right. It's a janky, it's a Swiss cheese kind of defense. There's like some nice strong quality in there, but also lots of holes. Well, it's also just kind of like an incomplete feeling roster. Like even when everyone's healthy and playing, they're just they're just missing like a couple of core pieces, like ingredients that you need for a team. Like they didn't really totally have a backup point guard. They don't really have any like wings that come off the bench to speak of. I mean, you got Robert Covington, I guess, but I don't know. Robert Covington has been hurt, right? And he's kind of more of like, yeah. he's been out with an, he's, he's been out like, he's been out all month and he's like, no news of him coming back either. And he's also someone who's struggled to like stay healthy and play the last couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a definitely a difference maker on defense when he does play, but it's, it's starting to be like, what do you have left in the tank? That obviously goes for Batum as well. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. Like they've been rebuilding on, they've, they've been sort of just, like rolling with the punches ever since the James Harden fiasco. It's gone mostly well. Like Philly was such a good story this season. And now it feels like the wheels are coming off because of injury, not because of drama, but it would be great if they could um, get back on their feet in time to make a last playoff push. So I think we should quickly mention just the like, just because there's a couple trades connected to these they're sort of like narrative branches stretching out uh marcus morris actually ended up getting traded again to san antonio with a second round pick and in exchange for doug mcdermott going back to indiana so that's one of those trades so indiana kind of replaces buddy healed in terms of having a shooter who likes to move and cut not quite on the same level but they did try to address that with a veteran player and they sent out a second round pick to do it. I think it's always funny with like some NBA veterans, especially like journeyman veterans or just players coming closer to the end of their career, how you have these funny familiarity with franchises like Doug McDermott is coming back to Indiana. But like, I also can't help but think of Marcus Morris's funny history with San Antonio, where he like said he was, he, he committed to signing with them 
and then just like you know like bounced at the last second i think did he sign with new york that yeah he signed with the knicks yeah and just just completely like bounced on them was just like actually you know what i just I, this thing just came up i got i got i gotta go <laughs> like like he was about to sign the paper and he's so it's yeah. funny that they now get to like drag him back and they're probably just going to wave him. It's like the Spurs mm-hmm. get to like the little, little revenge is that they get to sort of like put the final nail in the coffin of Marcus Morris's career. You know, I could have sworn Ooh. Doug McDermott was from Indiana and just kind of has that vibe to him, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> apparently not Nebraska, a different, different he, Midwestern state. He played it. He played it great. And then but he was, I, remember, I mean, I just remember him like playing with, with Sabonis and running all those like sort of like those like nice baseline actions. They had really good chemistry running that. But I, I always forget he started his career in Chicago and then bounced around for a bit before yeah. he got to Indiana. But obviously there's some familiarity there. McDermott also played with Rick Carlisle in Dallas for a minute. So there's all kind of kinds of like oh, yeah. he's, he's bounced so, a lot. Yeah. And he's a guy who's just quietly been shooting like, you know, 44% from three all season in San Antonio. So he's got some, he's got something left in the tank and Indiana might need it. So speaking of guys who have bounced around a lot, uh, the next trade was kind of a bit of a head scratcher for me, at least so the Toronto Raptors picked up Olenek and Agbaji from the jazz yeah. for auto Porter, Kira Lewis, two salaries and a 2024 first. It's not their own though. It's Indiana's first round pick so yeah the raptors current season i mean i guess they're trying to salvage it a little bit but you know they're not giving up their own picks so even if they're not able to i guess it doesn't have a direct impact on this trade they their pick is owned by san antonio at its top six protected so like you say it's that yep. indiana pick a lot of people are focusing on the Olenek part of the equation because Olenek was so sought after and like you know a lot of contenders thought that kelly olenic was like a piece that might they want to add to the rotation i mean he, he can shoot he can pass and he's like he can move his feet a little bit but i have to assume that this is more about ochai agbaji i have to assume yeah. that the raptors value that because kelly olenic's an expiring deal the raptors don't are not going to win this year if they wanted they could still fight to make the play and they're definitely well positioned to do that they're like four games behind atlanta they're four games behind atlanta because they were like not bad for the first third of the season and then like ever i mean and then like specifically post-trade they only won three games like after they got rid of siakam and og like this like this this team sucks their defense is awful and kelly olenic is not changing that i saw a lot of a media i mean i don't think agbaji is changing that either no, no, and I, and I don't even th- I don't think he's changing. It, but they must think of him. They must value him somewhat as a prospect. I mean, we've yeah. talked about Agbaji for years. As many yeah, no, you were not a fan in the draft. Yeah, so I'm not going to say he was a crazy fan. elite shooter in college and just has not been able to translate it to the NBA at all. So at least thus far. Yeah, I won't re-articulate my thoughts on that. And obviously, like, I hope that the Toronto ends up being a home for him, but he hasn't shown anything in the, in the NBA yet, but you have to, I just have to assume that, that Toronto's front office values him somewhat. Otherwise, like a, a late first round pick seems like a crazy thing to give up to increase their spacing. And like, I was about to say, like Raptors fans have been like, we got Kelly Olynyk, We got the stretch center that we needed. I'm like, your team can't play any defense. Like, have you noticed yeah. that you get blown out every game by like, like you, that you just l- routinely let teams score like 
Like New Orleans scored 138 points on the Raptors a couple nights ago. And a couple nights before that, Houston scored 135. Like they're routinely just giving up like monster leading points. And Kelly Olynyk isn't going to help with that at all. Like I don't care. No. Like maybe the, like, you know, if they can go from, I feel like since the trade, they've been like the 20th ranked offense and like the 20. 20- eighth ranked defense or something like that. If you're telling me you can get up to like the 15th ranked offense, but you're going to fall to like, you're not going to get any better on defense. Like that's not going to matter. So it's cool. I mean, and I, you know, I always like seeing Canadians come to the Raptors. That's really fun. I really like Kelly Olenek, but it's like, I don't see this as moving the needle besides the Raptors continued this trend of like, we're going to make our offense more fun to watch, but be qualitatively worse. And Raptors fans are like, yeah, we still hate Nick Nurse and him. Like, I just think it's a, I think there's a really funny fan situation happening in, in Toronto right now. But, uh, you know, Kelly Olenek will make it more fun. We'll make their offense more fun to watch, just like Emmanuel Quickly and RJ Barrett have. Yeah. I mean, that's the bright side, I guess. And then Olenek's an expiring. I don't know. Mm-hmm want to probably resign him in this offseason unless they yeah. do just really value and Bocce for some reason was um, was was auto porter expiring oh that's a good question because that's, if there's that's, any kind of salary dump component in this trade because we sh- i guess we might as well like while we're just talking about the raptors talk about the other trade they made because they sent yeah, out porter, that- porter is expiring okay so that's so they they didn't change their salary picture in this they've added Agbaji's salary basically but the other trade they did was they sent out Dennis Schroeder and Thaddeus Young both who are parts of their rotation like Schroeder was starting for them and then was their backup point guard and Thaddeus Young had been filling out since uh, a lot of center minutes since Jakob Pertl has been injured yeah Um, yeah traded him for Spencer Dinwiddie and then they've already waived or they're going to waive Spencer Dinwiddie so um I didn't really get the waiving part like, I don't know what the point is. They just, I guess they don't want him. He's got a bit of a, he's, he's, he's gained a bit of a reputation. It yeah, seems that's to put it lightly. And maybe that's part of it. They're just not interested in, in Spencer Dinwiddie, the person, because he was an expiring and Dennis Schroeder was not an expiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. No, Dallas. They got, that seems like the one, the one place where he seemed to not, not be hated by his teammates. I mean, spent like. Spencer Dinwiddie is an like you know he's a player that can pick up some scoring burden but has never been able to do it at a level quite good enough to be like to play that role on a high end team so it, it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's an awkward type of player some games you tune in Spencer Dinwiddie looks like a really high quality like playmaking scoring guard and then and then you kind of like look at the stats after a couple of months, like, ah, he's, he's been shooting 31% for two months. Like it's, it's really hard yeah. to bring any value on offense when, when you take shots and miss them. His, really his style of play also, it just, it's not great. You know, it's a lot of ball stoppage. It's a lot of very sluggish, very low movement offense. So yeah, he's like a poor man's Ky- Kyrie Irving and, and <clears throat> Kyrie Irving can play that style because he's insanely efficient and, and Spencer Dinwiddie isn't but if a team needs a ball handler and a guy who just adds a little bit of scoring pressure Spencer Dinwiddie's on the market and he might not have the leverage to make you pay his contract in in cryptocurrency so that could that could be attractive he might be interesting on a team like the Kings because they just don't really have a backup point guard and but but they play Malik Monk so much there like like off the bench, well, like, Malik Monk like, does handle the ball a lot when um, when Fox is in the game. So yeah, 
Like, I don't think they really want to, they really want to mess with that, but I, the, I feel like I these know. types of players often do get, do get picked up. I oh, like, you know, who could use a little bit of boost to their half court offense when their star sits. Who that? The Lakers. I mean, yeah, that's not a, that's, that's not Laker a fans call. are upset. They didn't make a, a, a deal in the, you know, before the deadline, this could be their big move. They could pick up Spencer. Now, now I forget how much Dinwiddie was making, but is he allowed to be picked up by teams that are over the luxury tax? I always, I always goal. forget if that's is that affected this season or is that next season? Yeah, no, that's this season. So, to, so can, like if mean, Kyle making, Lowry, he was making eighteen million, which is over the MLE. So I don't, yeah, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think the Lakers can pick up Dinwiddie. Okay, would definitely have to you know check to be positive of that, but like it's gonna be. I think a lot of fans who are like, oh, we're gonna get. Um, big buyout candidate. This just like it's you're you're literally not allowed this year if your team is is over the luxury tax. So yeah, and most of the contending teams are so exactly, which essentially means they're not really players in the buyout market. Yeah, I mean for a few more minor games. Yeah. Anyway, the next next trade was an interesting one. I wasn't sure if uh, Gordon Hayward was going to get traded or bought out. I figured he would be available to someone, right? Either way, you know, but the Thunder actually. Trey Mann, Bertans, I think, I think some second round picks were involved. Saw some yeah, like and, draft compensation. <clears throat> I don't know what exactly that was. And Va- and Vasilihi Micic. Oh yeah, Micic. Who had been okay, playing so, for them lately? Like you know, like yeah. he, he's been a part of the rotation. So and he has a three year deal, kind of around mid level money, like seven seven or eight million dollars a year. Yeah, no, I think if uh, Hayward can stay healthy, this is a huge gift for the Thunder. They really need a player like that. Short the rotation. I mean, they just add a, a team that is mostly built out of guards that play bigger than their size. Now, you know, get a guy who stands six foot seven and is sort of strong. So it's not like a huge size upgrade, but it is a size upgrade. Cause like, like Lou Dort is six foot two. Cason Wallace is six foot two. Like, this is like, you know, J Dub, Jalen Williams plays the four for them and he's six foot four. Like, this is a really little team that hides it because all these, yeah. all these players play a lot Maybe bigger than their size, but bigger, stronger forward. Yeah. I mean, just like, interestingly I mean, just... though, like Hayward has a, a game and kind of skill set that I would say is, is a little bit comparable to J-Dub, you know, they kind of operate in the same space yeah. on the court. So I have a similar thought. It seems a little bit redundant. Gordon Hayward doesn't do a lot of the things anymore that, that Jalen Williams does. Like, like you yeah. know, Jalen Williams is like driving and dunking on people, and be, like being a like Jalen Williams yeah, is the primary. It was a few player. injuries ago when Hayward was doing. <laughs> Looking at Gordon Hayward's game now and trying to imagine, you know, what he's going to do for the Oklahoma City Thunder team. Like he sometimes gets the yips and doesn't like to like score all the time. Like he's a big, strong guy who sometimes uses that strength and posts up, and sometimes gets really passive. I think like. You know, anyone who's been like a physical player and has has dealt with injuries, like that physical confidence goes away and you just feel kind of like weaker in a bunch of ways. And you often just don't feel as aggressive attacking. And you definitely see that with Hayward um, a lot of times. And he doesn't he's also not a very aggressive shooter. He doesn't like he's not out there like jacking. Yeah, he's not a spot up guy. That's that's kind of what I was trying to get at with the Jada comparison. You know, like Hayward will catch and. You know, he will fire sometimes, but other times he kind of likes to hold the ball and kind of survey the defense and take a few dribbles inside the three-point line before he decides to do something. So I don't know I how well he, that will fit on in this offense, but... They like to put playmakers in the middle of the floor. Like, think about how they how they use Josh Giddy. 
you know, they'll, they'll kind of like put him in the pinch post or put him actually deep in the low post and, you know, like run a little curl action to get in the ball and the move while, and like get him to relocate. And I think that, uh, I think that Hayward can play that role with a little bit be, while being less of a score. He doesn't have quite the same high level passing that, uh, that Giddy does, but he's like, he's, he's a more threatening scorer and he can shoot when left open. So, I mean, he's just a big, strong body with some playmaking chops. And I think that's going to fit in pretty well with what OKC does. I don't think this like is a, you know, roster changing move, but they've added a pretty high level player, a pretty high level rotation player. That's another team that's going on a playoff run. So like, I don't know, like which, yeah. which, which do you like more so for Gordon Hayward going to OKC or Monte Morris going to, to Minnesota because Hayward's the better player in a, like, you know, in a vacuum. Yeah, no, I think Monte Morris, just because I think it feel it feels like a really clear and obvious need that like the team was just so desperately lacking. I'm not sure that Hayward's going to have quite the same impact with the Thunder just because they already had guys who were doing what he's going to do. I think they're going to put him at the elbows and make him this kind of like mid-range scorer playmaker type and just kind of like another guy who can like handle and, and do stuff. I do agree. It's, I, I agree with what you're saying. It's kind of like, I like Morris because of the fit, even if the talent isn't quite as high, like it just more clearly addresses needs where like the Thunder added a bigger talent, but it's like less clear how much Gordon Hayward is going to move the needle or exactly what he's going to do there. Good trade. Yeah. I'm glad to see Gordon Hayward back on a playoff team and and, and get to see him. Like he's been, he's been lost in the woods for a while in, in Charlotte. So good to see him kind of, you know, back in the game. Welcome back, Gordon. Yeah. And it's cool to see a, a trade that actually is going to have an impact in the playoffs, right? Has a, is going to make a change in rotation for a team that's pretty good. And then we have another one coming up here where there's a couple of guys added into the New York Knicks side of things. They sent out Hugh Grimes, a couple seconds, right? Yeah, two second, second round picks. picks. Two second round picks. And Flynn, Evan Fournier, just just some salary. And they picked up Alec Burks and Boyan Bogdanovich from Pistons. So two guys who are probably going to play for them. You somehow forgot that 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 Ryan RC oh, yeah. <laughs> um, who oh, I man. did forget was in the NBA when I saw that. Like, you know, he like our, our NCAA champion NCAA champion, Ryan. Yeah. He kind of looked like yeah, he was gonna be a player for a title. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, New York, that who has been basically murdering everyone since the OG trade, mostly feasting on an easy schedule, but also have some quality wins that legitimize that, have just added two rotation players. Like, Boyan Bogdanovich is, like, considered by many to be, a, like, a starting level, like, spacing power forward. Scores a lot of points. Really good shooter. Really still, like, a, a quite a bully on the baseline. Like, you know, like, get, get him get him a corner three and, and close out too hard. And he will put a guy on his hip and just kind of like bludgeon his way to the basket. Not as like playmaky as Danilo Gallinari, but kind of has the same, a bit of that same like weird ground bound bully game mixed with, with elite shooting. So you like this pick, you like this trade a little bit more initially for, for, for New York than I did. So why don't mm -hmm. you tell us about that? Well, I mean, Julius Randall insurance, if we have a, another Julius Randall situation, <laughs> in the playoffs this year which is always nice i think yeah like the knicks just get a little bit bigger and stronger you know they're like playing josh hart at the four and stuff when randall sat they're just really really small and the knicks are just they're just a small team you know like especially with robinson out um 
you know, it's basically one big guy and Randall and then a bunch of guards, right? So, well, and except for OG and an OB now. Yeah, that's true. And OG. But still, like, it's it's a roster that doesn't, it's not like an incredible amount of size and strength. So, yeah, they got bigger. They got better at three-point shooting in the half court, which I think is big for them. And Alec Burks, I think, is the main part of this this whole deal that you weren't necessarily completely in love with. You know, Alec Burks kind of had that one season with the next couple of years ago where he was, what was he scoring, like 20 a game or something? He was just yeah. like, <laughs> he was just like the second most important player for them offensively, which was just really weird. But that's kind of the role they had him playing in. I don't know if he's going to return to that. I mean, I think if the Knicks are going to be good, he can't really return to anything resembling that level of offensive responsibility. But I mean, it's just like, it's just a piece off of their bench that can like actually do something in the half court. And I think the Knicks' biggest weakness, I mean, they're really tough. They're really gritty. Brunson is amazing at just like manufacturing openings and, and scoring. But like when the defensive pressure really gets focused on Brunson, I mean, it, it really is like, hey, Julius Randle, you're like the only other guy on this roster who can kind of like do stuff with the ball in your hands. They're just kind of like a lack of guys who can create shots for themselves. I would say so this trade adds two of them even though Alec Burks isn't a great option right he's at least someone I mean he's he's kind of a funny player and like my, my negative reaction to him was basically like like how good is Alec Burks still like like how because sometimes with perimeter players like load masks impact like you know he gets he gets his on ball reps playing on the worst team in the NBA or one you know one of the worst three teams in the NBA and like, is he still going to be able to do any of that role at a high level? But there's two things I do like about him going to New York. So one of them we kind of, you already alluded to, and we talked a little bit about beforehand, which is like in Tibbs's offense, like ball handlers do get rewarded. If you're like, you're, you're kind of like, he kind of structures his offensive hierarchy based on who's the most aggressive with the ball in their hands. So it's like, it was Randall until Brunson at came and then Brunson bumped him down and ever since they got rid of RJ they've kind of they've lacked a little bit of a third aggressive ball handler a lot of that has been going to Dante DiVincenzo who has like sort of expanded his game and shows and like shown his sort of playmaking chops so Alec Burks is going to sort of like I think you know fight to be the perimeter player that that Tibbs trusts with the ball and then like you know just like low-key he's a very solid shooter both like both catch and shoot and and like pull up threes he's like Last three years, he's in like the 82nd percentile or, or higher, both on like amount of pull-up threes and and three-point percentage there. So that's just a good dimension to add to their offense. Like definitely like doesn't hurt. It's crazy that they I know that Quentin Grimes is not playing well or much this year, but I was just surprised to see his name come up in a deal because he was like a very oh, here we go. exciting young wing player, like two here years we ago. Go. <laughs> yeah i i'm so sick and tired of hearing about quentin crumbs but he was just so at, good two years ago <laughs> yeah i just i just think he's just you know he's he's a rotation he's what do you call it replacement level player yeah i mean you're probably right based on i don't think quentin grimes is very good uh people have been complaining for years about like wanting him to get more minutes right just because i don't know He's just, he's an okay at best three point shooter. He really can't dribble or do anything else on offense. He's an okay I, defensive player, but I think he is an elite catch and shoot three point shooter. He can't shoot off the bounce at all. I think that he is a very good defender, but I also just think he kind of like, I don't know if he's been a little bit hurt this year or what's going on, but he's just like I've, I've, every Knicks game I've watched when he actually gets into the game, he doesn't quite look like the same guy 
that he was two years ago. And he was kind of like their, like, you know, he was, he was their starter. I, I liked him better than I liked RJ. Like just kind of banging threes yep. and defending all over the floor. And just also being kind of like a good cutter and like just smart mover and stuff like that. So yeah, I was high on Quentin Grimes. I was in that camp, but he didn't show that this mm-hmm. year. He wasn't getting them in. It basically fell off in, in every regard. We'll see if he bounces back in Detroit because, again, like if he can shoot and defend, he's going to get minutes there. Yeah. And he might be able to, he might, you know, actually be a positive role playing ingredient that can support those young guys. So, I mean, I really liked him. I hope that he bounces back. I get why New York gave up on him and I see why this like fortifies their like best. Well, here, can I, can I, can I give my Clint Grimes haterade take real quick? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Alec Burks is absolutely a defensive downgrade from uh, Clinton Grimes, like no doubt about mm-hmm. it. But I think Alec Burks adds a little bit of unpredictability and dy- dynamism offensively, whereas Clinton Grimes is, you know, just uh, vanilla. And the Knicks, like, were so incredibly easy to figure out and defend in the playoffs last year. You know, it's like the Heat barely even broke a sweat. Like they're they just solved the Knicks' offense in like a quarter. It felt like it's like oh we know exactly how to guard you and your offense is just going to be really inefficient for the entire series from this point forward. And Quentin Grimes was contributing to that and Alec Burks and well, this is much more about Bogdanovich than it is Alec Burks, but I feel like the two players they picked up helped to alleviate that issue. We'll see if Tibbs can construct a playoff offense that utilizes multiple playmakers at the same time. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying he has never done it before. And we have seen him yeah. a whole lot of stops. Like, so as much as like, as much as the people want to be like, oh, their offense basically just got reduced to Jalen Brunson, just scraping for, for tough shots. I'm like, are you sure that wasn't Tibbs's plan? Because I'm pretty sure we saw him do the exact thing, exact same thing yeah. with Derrick Rose in Chicago and the exact same thing with Jimmy Butler in Minnesota. Like he's not like he, he does two things on offense. He likes running dribble handoffs with a big, and he likes having his ball handler just get into the paint and do stuff. And I'm it's I, probably I guess, six of one, half a dozen of the other. He's got the ingredient. I mean, like Brunson's a really good, tough shot making scrappy ball handler and Isaiah Hartenstein's an awesome dribble handoff guy. So like, that's why things are working really well right now. I guess I'm just wondering like, will Alec Burks make a difference? Bojan Bogdanovich is is obviously going to like, you know, space the floor. That's going to be valuable. I do start to wonder like how many defensive liabilities are you going to put on and just expect OG and Obi to clean up the messes of like, it's like, you got you got OG and the bigs and you know and you got Dante DiVincenzo who can who can contribute on D a bit and then after that it's just like like Randall doesn't always try and now you're adding Boyan and Alec Burks and and Brunson's a small slow liability and it's maybe, a very it's gonna be a maybe this was a front office decision where it's like okay Thibs we we know you just like making Brunson and occasionally Randall do everything on offense we're going to fill the roster with guys who are are whose primary value is being able to do stuff on offense. So we're going to force you, you know, you're going to play these guys to use them well. You're going to have to give them the ball and let them, yeah. you know, occasionally I do, make decisions. I, I do think that Alec Burks is the exact kind of player that Tibbs knows how to use. And Quentin Grimes is the exact kind of player that Tibbs just has no idea what to do with. So I think this yeah. is stylistically it fits. And again, Boyan's going to, 
going to help. I don't know what Boyan has left in the tank on defense. I know like in years, like many years past, he was an okay man defender against like bigger wings, but he's been a liability at several stops. And now he's been, been playing in Detroit for a couple of years where we really like, like, you know, who knows what to make of anyone in Detroit. So, but you know, if he can spell Randall, if, if Randall's struggling and you can throw more shooting out there, I think that's a nice option to have. Um, yeah. did, New, did New York do anything else or is that, is that their, um, that, that's, that's their main, that's that their only trade. It. Yeah. Well, from from a trade that might you know help the Knicks this season in the playoffs, and I think looks, I'm I'm pretty positive on it. Let's go to one that I'm I'm super negative and down on. <laughs> How about that? So the the Mavericks gave up on the Grant Williams experience halfway through the season, and they picked up PJ Washington. They also sent out Seth Curry, and here's the real sticking point. They sent out a lightly protected 2027 first. The yep. only pick left in their arsenal they had to trade, which is a lot to give up for a guy like PJ Washington, who's a fine player. Might as well lump in here the other trade that Dallas made because they also traded for Daniel Gafford with Washington. Oh, yeah. About, um, Rashawn Holmes and and some sort of second round pick in that one. I haven't actually heard what that what the draft compensation is there, but there is some. It is it is crazy. Like, I mean, anytime we see a first round pick and I think we only saw two first round picks moved and this was one of them. Yeah, it was this the was Raptors the last... moving Indiana's pick and then the Mavs. And this is the last the last pick that Dallas could trade. So this is just like their draft capital will draft capital is now up for a year. But they've just added two starter-ish level players to rotation and Grant Williams just stopped hitting shots. And mm-hmm. for anyone who's followed Grant Williams over the years knows that I mean, that's I the we, only thing he does on offense is like sometimes he's on fire and in the moment he's yeah. not, he's basically like a he's just a body out there. And then defensively, he wasn't like stand, making a standout difference. You've been low on his defense for years. I think he's a good like man defender against bigger players, but that's like that's too much of a specialist to bring big value. So he was I'm he on was, the side uh, of I've coached Joe Missoula. You know, he thought Grant Williams sucked on defense. I'm just I'm deferring to the Celtics coach. Well, I, I, he didn't. He didn't do anything to to prove you wrong in Dallas. As Dallas yeah. tried to fix their defense all season, Grant Williams was not the button they pushed. He's only become and and once he stopped shooting threes, it was just like they went in every every direction they could. I think PJ Washington is really good. I think he's a just okay. a super rock solid all around combo forward, like <clears throat> or more like combo big. You can play him in small, you can play him as yeah. a small ball five and he'll give you, he's just like, he's strong with the ball. He's got a, he's got a little bit of scoring and playmaking in his arsenal. You can stick him in the corner where, where he'll shoot threes and he's solid defensively. I think that plus Daniel Gafford being another like rim running rim protector is just like these pieces should fit. And I think PJ Washington is just a straight up upgrade over Grant Williams. He just does more things than Grant Williams. He's not as good a shooter. Grant Williams is, is, is streaky. He's had, Grant Williams has had these incredible shooting performances, right? Like Grant Williams has, has yeah, he won series. a playoff series for the Celtics yeah. against the Heat a couple yeah. of years ago, right? Heat, but uh, when it Celtics goes away, don't make the finals in twenty twenty one without Grant Williams. Yeah, I think just PJ PJ Washington. I I watched a bit last year after Lamelo Ball got hurt and the season was kind of over, and then Charlotte sneakily was just kind of like really good both on defense and a little bit on offense for the end of the season. They were a pretty fun watch for a while. And PJ Washington was like playing a lot of small ball center at that point in time and just was kind of like at the center of everything. So 
I just think if you're going to put someone in that Grant Williams role or just have this other like forward out there behind behind Luca and and Kyrie or as like a pick and roll partner with either of them, like I just think that he can come in and, and give them a lot of different looks where Grant Williams was just so limited. PJ yeah. Washington has this versatility. Easy to give around a, a first round pick, but I know that's that's the thing. I'm I guess the Mavericks may be thinking along the lines of if everything just goes horribly wrong, we can trade Luca and get our draft assets back that way. You know, <laughs> if someone's going to give up like five first, six first for Luca, um, and they are they're in desperation mode in terms of just like we need to go on another deep playoff run to convince Luca that this is like a place where his career makes sense. And I think like you know Luca wants to stay, but like if if they just like if they if they get knocked out in the play in this year after missing the playoffs last year, I think the situation is going to be very dire. And so them making a playoff push this year, I get why it was urgent. I like the moves in terms of they just definitely improved their team. Rishon Holmes was supposed to be like a rim running option, but I just don't know if he's been healthy or whether he's still like a NBA level rotation player. Daniel Gafford, um, whenever Derek Lively's out or just being as like, you know, like a, a bit more of a veteran reliable version of Derek Lively, like Daniel Gafford's a really good rim protector and can go up for lobs. So yeah, we know Probably like backup big man. Yeah. The Mavs and he offers know, a little bit more. Well, I don't, I don't know if he offers that much more, just like a little bit more strength and physicality inside than Lively. Cause Lively's kind of a, yeah, well, yeah, de- definitely than Lively, but, but yeah, he's still, he's not a huge guy overall. It's yeah, I guess like, I could see with the Mavericks, you know, kind of breaking their big man rotation into like, you know, have Lively play roughly a third of the game, Gafford a third of the game, and then, you know, kind of probably finish off with PJ Washington playing the small ball five. But, yeah, yeah. They, it's funny that the Mavs are like, you know what we definitely know works with Luka? A rim runner. So we're just going to spend the whole season signing anyone we think who's it. Like, you know, it's like they brought in three different rim runners to start the year. They kept Dwight Powell and now they're bringing in Daniel Gafford. It's sort of just like, okay, we get it. We, we yeah. get it that you you know that like how many rim runners do you need though? Well, they got Derek Jones too. And then yeah, PJ Washington, you know, he's he's a pretty decent player as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he can do a little bit more in the short role too. Like, yeah. If the if the pick and rolls walled off, he's going to hit corner shooters. He can he can he can hit a mid range jump shot. He can pick a pop a bit. Like I think Dallas got better, and they probably just not getting better was not an option for them from where yeah. they are in the standings. And I guess all I'll say like, about Dallas is like this, this better work. <laughs> let's re- let's really hope for their sakes. They're also just like if you're a fan of Dallas, they're playing Luca like 38 minutes a game. And like he's leading the NBA in minutes per game. They're just like like this is this is not a well conditioned man. Well, I don't know what other options they have. You know, like part of their team is hurt. Kyrie only plays yeah. the game. You know, they kind of have to play Luca. I'm not saying minutes just to be competitive. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a bad coaching decision. I'm just saying like it's not a it's not a good thing. But yeah, Exum's been out. Irving's been out. Cleaver and Lively have both missed time. It's like. Um, oh, and you know what? An- another good part of this trade was they didn't give up Josh Green, who they still really like. Oh, yeah. Like, it was kind of assumed that he'd have to be part of any attempt to make an upgrade. So they got rid of their first round pick, but they did keep Josh Green. So you can, I don't know, you can feel good about that if you want. We have at least one other <clears throat> contender to talk about that made some moves, if you want to. Are you like, what? I'm assuming this is related to the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, yeah. There's not, there's not a lot of like fun different options here so yeah the phoenix suns came into this season 
hoping they could fill out the back end of the rotation off off like the sort of junk pile. And you know, anytime they, like they the, kind of did, they, they got a couple quality players on that minimum deals, but too many of their guys have not worked out. Like yeah, um, that's true. And yeah, so I know a lot of people were really excited about the Kidabates Diop deal just because yeah, uh, yeah he, I didn't get that. he like got hot from three for like a month in san antonio where you know no one was even really trying when they played the spurs because they're not a competitive team I, I don't know that one did not work out he also like Bates diop has like has had really good fortune with opportunities like he's gone to a couple places where there's been minutes in a role and has mostly struggled to capitalize on that like i i don't think he's uh, i don't think he's quite like a good rotation level player and i feel like now everyone agrees on that after how things have gone in Phoenix. But Utah Wanton, uh, Watanabe has also not worked out. And I thought that was going to be an amazing fit. I thought that was a crazy good yeah, signing. He hasn't, he hasn't shot well from three, which is crazy because he was just absolutely lights out the previous year. He was the best corner three-point shooter in, like, in the world last year. Like basically never missed corner threes. I'm just like quickly pulling up some of those stats to see the difference. So last year he hit 51% of his corner threes and this year he's down to 32% corner threes. So that basically just wipes out all his offensive value and doesn't, he's not quite an, like, he's not quite an elite defender or anything like that. He's more of just sort of like a versatile hustle guy. So um, anyways, they've that I haven't quite sorted out that trade, but I do know that Phoenix no longer employs Kita Bates Diop, Jordan Goodwin, Chimesi Metu, Utah Wantanabe. They've sent out three second round picks, but in all of that mess, they have received Royce O'Neal from the Brooklyn Nets and David Roddy, David the Body Roddy from the Memphis Grizzlies. One of so the better names in the NBA at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> they clearly have a like they they're basically like cycling the back end of the rotation and hoping they get some guys that yeah. fit. Royce O'Neal is like a like not back end of the rotation. He's a clear fit with this team, even though it means there's like another kind of like chunky, more shooting guard sized player who ends up playing like the four for them in a lot of lineups. But I still think that's an, yeah. a no brainer, good pickup for them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the main thing that the Sun, I think the Suns, their top six is pretty much set. Speaking of guys who did work out for them, Grayson Allen has been great for the Suns this season. Yusuf Nurkic is just having a freaking miracle of a season. He's been the most healthy player on the Suns, even though he's <laughs> never stayed healthy in Portland like the last four years. Crazy. And then Eric Gordon's been really solid. So surprisingly, I, I you know, I thought Eric Gordon was kind of washed last year in the Clippers, honestly, but. He's had yeah. a nice bounce back season. So, you know, their top six is pretty much set. Yeah, they don't they don't really have a backup big man. Like you, Drew Eubanks tries, but I don't I don't really know if you're gonna see him in a playoff rotation. So I mean they Kevin, just they Kevin Durant's their backup center. The two guys they picked up in their trade are, you know, maybe their seventh and eighth man in the playoff rotation. I think if that's all you're asking them to do, they're Royce O'Neal is is definitely, you know, he's proven in that role. Uh David Roddy got some um playoff reps last year. Against Lakers, and he was okay, uh, not great, but I I don't get the David Roddy thing. He was so I I, I was never familiar with his game. Uh, when he was drafted, he was one of those kind of like, oh, who's that again? Like I sort of know that name, but and then I saw and then I saw the body of David Roddy, and I was like, oh, well, that's it. That's an intriguing looking. That's an intriguing looking boy. Like, tell me more. Yep. But like, with a lot of like, he's had a lot of hype. I feel like 
people love talking about David Roddy, like the idea of him, but it's been a rough go so far in the NBA in terms of like, yeah. I think it's just scoring efficiency. You're right. The idea of David Roddy is more appealing than the actual the actual player. Yeah, he's just always kind of scrapping for points and missing, you know. And at the end of the day, like we're just talking about like a six foot four like power forward who doesn't like shoot the ball well, or I'm, I'm, I I kind of just struggle to see what the like he's he's not much of a playmaker. He's just like a good physical guy to have. But beyond that, I, I, I don't really see it. There's been like for a lot of these Memphis guys, even before this year with all the injury devastation, a lot like if you're a wing in Memphis, you've had every chance now to prove that you can uh, you can step up and play a rotation role. And just no one in Memphis has really been able to do that. And David Roddy's one of them. If he gets a fresh chance in Phoenix. You, like I don't think he's going to play a lot. He's going to be behind like Josh Koji and that sort of. Question. Like at best, we're talking about the tenth man here. So I'm, you know, whatever. I guess surprisingly, like oh, Chimessi Metu, just because he was their closest thing to like another backup big or whatever. Is like David Roddy going to play backup center for them? I don't know. Um, I think I'm just going to forego having a backup center. Hope, yeah. <laughs> hope and pray that Yusuf Nurkic can stay healthy for you know the the playoff run. We'll see if that yeah. happens. And yeah, pray you just don't run into like Denver again in the in the playoffs and just get fucking smashed apart on the inside. Let's just like run through the tiny little nitty gritties and then we'll just talk about teams that didn't make trades. So Portland okay. sent out a protected second round pick for Delano Banton, which is like, you know, he's very, he's a very tall, very, very fast guard who may or may not have any NBA level skills. Yeah, that's um, what we Detroit. need, another guard on a team that has, like, zero quality wings yeah. outside of Jeremy Grant. <laughs> he's, wing, he's wing-sized. He's, like, 6'7". Um, Brooklyn has waived Harry Giles. Uh, Detroit has waived Killian Hayes. The a, I, I can't – Killian Hayes is, what, the sixth pick in the draft or something? Um, seven, I think. But yeah. yeah, might, might not make so. it. I wonder if someone will take a chance on him, like a team that can afford um, – a non-shooter basically because Killian Hayes can definitely pass the ball. Hayes, he's, he's a good defender and the Spurs are really, really bad on defense. He's a decent connecting playmaker. The Spurs have like none of that. I mean, obviously the lack of a jump shot is going to make his upside very limited until if and when he figures that out. But I, I know who's going to pick him up. Who do you think is picking him up? The Orlando Magic, who insist on having every non-shooting guard in the NBA. Yeah, he would fit like... the archetype, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, I can see, like, I'm just kind of, like, looking at the list of teams. He'll right definitely now. get a couple more chances in the NBA. I think so, too. If I was, also, like, no, the, the Magic, I would take a flyer they, on him. The Magic haven't done their yearly Michael Carter-Williams signing. Oh, that's true. But this is this this could that's, be it. That's this, their this guy. Could be their, this, could be their, this could be their new Michael, Michael Carter-Williams signing. They just uh, pick him I up think, every season at the end of the year. Yeah, I would be like, I wouldn't be surprised if either a contender or just a young team wanted to get a little redraft candidate sort of went for it. Really bad fit in Detroit. It was like you can't keep this guy on the roster with other players that you clearly prioritize more. Like it just, it's 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 a brutal fit anytime he's out there on the floor. But I, I do think he'll get another chance. I hope the best of him. I was really high on him in the draft. I did not realize that he was like completely adverse to taking contact on drives. I was like, yeah. he looked like a, he was going to be like, he was a big, strong guard. I pictured like, oh, he's going to be able to play some like bully ball and be a playmaker. It's like, no, he does not like it when people touch him. Yeah. So that's. <laughs> he also, that, he also like in France, I mean, I don't think he was like a great shooter, but he wasn't like one of the worst. Yeah. Touch guys in the NBA in France or in whatever the French yeah. league was. Right. It, you didn't really see that coming. So. 
No, it was definitely an, an unpredictable. Like the player that he was in the NBA was not what the scouting report, report suggested or what the team sometimes suggested. sometimes it happens though. Sometimes guys are yeah. like better shooters in Europe, and then they come over to the NBA and just completely lose their touch. I remember another Pistons guy. It's kind of a throwback, but Luigi Dottome was like, oh yeah, an absolute sniper in Europe, and he comes over to the NBA and he just like cannot could not make a shot <laughs> to save his life. I think Fun a big last year. Well, that yeah. was another situation where you kind of figured it out in the second season. You can't shoot when you're not feeling confident. And it's hard sometimes to like come over to a whole different league and different environment and, and just feel confident. Like it's, it's, I bet like just in general, it's like hard to be in an NBA locker room and on a, on a team next to all of these kind of like alpha male athlete archetypes and like, you know, like assert yourself and keep that confidence. It's a really difficult thing for some of these guys to do. So <laughs> And that's, yeah, it's really like, like shooting is like definitely about technique and reps and and natural touch, but confidence is a huge part of the equation. So good could be it with Killian Hayes, but a couple of trades we got cam actually this one matters a little bit like Philadelphia, sorry, Milwaukee picked up Patrick Beverly yeah. and they sent a second round picking campaign back to Philadelphia. Patrick Beverly is like old and I'm not saying he moves the needle, but Milwaukee having like no point of attack defenders Patrick Beverly is a point of attack defender. If he's got something left in the tank, Milwaukee needs it. So yeah. I, I think that's, that is a potentially more than nothing trade. D, Philly also just sent a second round pick to Detroit, a 2024 Knicks second round pick to Detroit for nothing for the right to get rid of Daniel House because they, they needed to clear salary. That's, yeah, I think that's, I think that's, that might, we might've covered all the trades. Yeah, they've been really good at picking up Extra second round. I don't know how many second round picks that this was. A ton of second round picks today. Yeah, yeah, and this and they were doing it in the draft last last. Oh, they also Joe Harris was bought out. So yeah, uh, that's that's a guy who is going to be get bit gets picked up by someone. Yeah, remains to be seen. Oh, the Brooklyn Nets have waived Thaddeus Young. I wouldn't be surprised if if a if a contender picked him up. Like I'm not saying that he's going to be in someone's playoff rotation, but he is like he's he's a very smart veteran who. Oof. Oh, Joe Harris was making too much for those uh, taxpayer teams, though. Oh, the Grizzlies also waived Victor Oladipo. And yeah, besides... Yeah, yeah. All right, well, how, you, you had some teams you were interested in who didn't make any trades. I know there's one big team that stands at the top of that list, and that is... Yeah. Um, the Hawks, I think, just with all the noise around DeJounte and Murray. I think oh, that's not what I was expecting you to say. Well, yeah, no, I mean... I, I have twist. Some teams are more critical to too. I just, you know, usually when there's this much smoke, there is fire. Like it gets to a point like, yeah, there are, there are a lot of rumors that don't end up going nowhere. But when, you know, literally everyone is talking about DeShante Murray getting traded for a month straight and then it doesn't happen. It's a little bit surprising. It's one of those things where clearly like, you know, the Hawks were interested in trading him for the right price, but it wasn't one of those situations where it's like, we just need to get this guy off the team and we'll yeah. take whatever the best offer is. And I was I was kind of assuming that it was more that situation, just with how much talk there was about it. So I was a little bit surprised that, you know, things are obviously tenuous and not great within that relationship, but they're not so bad that they're willing to take whatever they saw as a subpar offer. I know that there was big talks between them and the Pelicans that went down to the wire. I think in a lot of these, like I, I do think there was smoke and there was fire. Like I think the Hawks were pretty aggressive shopping Deontay Murray. I just don't think they got a deal done. And I, I, I don't, so many of the trading partners for Deontay Murray already had a point guard. So you're just like, we kind of know that Deontay Murray 
like as a combo guard next to Trey Young has been like a, just a kind of a useless combination. Like he can like put up numbers, but like he's not he's just not that useful off the ball for your team's offense. If you're not bringing him in to run like to do some dribble penetration and runs like decent volume pick and roll, he's not really going to bring star level impact to your offense. He's going to take a whole bunch of like bad pull-ups and, you know, like hit enough of them to average 20 points. But like, I wonder if the Pelicans made an actual offer, whether it was just preliminary discussions, because if the Pelicans made, and I mean, seriously, like literally any offer I would have taken as the Hawks because the Pelicans roster is full of good players, right? There's, there's no one on the Pelicans roster who you're like, Oh, that's just like a, a salary dump. You know, everyone on the Pelicans roster is quality. I think pretty much any trade package they would have put together would have really supplemented the Hawks rotation. I don't know. I, I, I picture there wasn't enough urgency from either the Pelicans or the Hawks. Like, Deontay Murray's under contract. If New Orleans is really interested in him, it's not like he's not going to be there in the offseason. It's not like it's like definitely clear. I kind of actually do buy the idea of the – I was thinking about it today just because, like, you know, it was still coming up on Twitter a lot that the, these discussions were happening – and at first I was just like, oh, you're just going to get him and play him next to a small guard. But then I was like, oh, CJ McCollum doesn't like doesn't have to be the primary ball handler. Like he's a, he's he's a, he's a, he's a, like a guy who can score in the gap. So you can still keep Deontay mm-hmm. a little bit more on ball than you had him with Trey Young. And then more long term, I kind of like the idea of like a Dyson Daniels Deontay Murray backcourt where they're both sort of like combo guards. But Deontay gets to be more on the ball. And Dyson Daniels is more the like, and between the two of them, they've got size to like, because Deontay Murray is like only a good defender at the point of attack. So like, yeah, like he's, he's, yeah, who's he's not gonna, who would not love that arrangement though? Who? Brandon Ingram. Oh yeah. But, <laughs> but <laughs> Brandon Ingram likes it when Brandon Ingram is the primary ball handler. And that would be cool if Brandon Ingram would just like commit more on a consistent basis to like passing the ball. He's been a lot, a lot better at it this year in the games I've watched, but he's still just like, he's just a weird player. He's like, like depending on what game you're watching, he's like, tonight I'm only shooting. Tonight I'm only taking like fadeaways in the mid range. And other nights yeah. he's like, like other nights he's just like, I'm like point forward, Brandon Ingram. I'm making like, I'm, I'm these long arm baseline passes. And other nights he's just like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to help you guys protect the rim tonight. I think you need it. And then just like, and then never step in the paint on defense for the next 10 games. Just like, I, I'm sorry. That was unfair to Brandon Ingram. Just, I've, I've taken too many unnecessary shots. at the <laughs> He's having a good season. He's a, he's a good player. He just like, I think he's such a tantalizing talent that it's frustrating. That he doesn't put it all together. Cause he really does. He shows, uh, a high level tough shot maker he shows playmaking skills he shows versatile defense but you just it seems like they're never happening all at the same time and you don't know what you're getting yeah yeah there are a couple of teams that didn't make trades we mentioned the lakers briefly didn't end up doing anything and sounds like you know it, since they're a tax paying team aren't even going to be able to get a significant buyout candidate so the lakers roster is pretty much what it's going to be and then the other team that i was more surprised about the Lakers because I was I was going to be I guess I was skeptical that Lakers were going to trade what is it the 2028 pick they still have left yeah I was just I yeah. I would be surprised if they you know dealt that one or maybe it's 2027 I don't know but you know like with uh, the aging roster and as far you know I, I feel like they're pretty far away from catching the teams that are at the top of the West 
they didn't feel like they could really do anything to alleviate that this season. So not totally surprised, so, but the, the Warriors, I was more surprised, just didn't do anything. Because um, that felt like a team that just needed something to salvage this season. I mean, because they're in danger of not even, not just missing the playoffs, but missing the play entirely. And what did you think that the Warriors could do? They have all their picks, right? I mean, it's, I, it's, I tough, felt... to, it's tough to come up off the top of my head with like the exact trade. PJ Washington is not... an incredible fit for the Warriors. But they could I have think traded the... three seconds for one of these guys who's like a decent seventh man. I mean, major move, yeah. probably not, but they could have done something along the margins. The thing is, like, the their seventh men are the like are the are, like the guys like it's the, it's their young pieces that they don't want to give up, right? Like, it's like they're not trading Pod. They're not like they're not trading like I, I like 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 Pajemski and Kaminga felt kind of untouchable <laughs> then and trace jackson davis is a piece that they're like interested in developing and then chris paul's hurt clay thompson sucks andrew wiggins sucks no one's going to trade for draymond green it's just too it's too difficult to make that work so i just didn't look at the roster and see like well what's like what's really like tradable here and what can they add like yes they could have added another like mid-level rotation piece that might or might not have played better than Dario Saric, like who's actually played really well for them. I like, I, I didn't see a path to an upgrade. Like, yeah, they could have added a player. They could have done a minor upgrade for sure. I think that's the thing I would really be highly critical of the Warriors on. Cause they got a couple contracts of guys who just haven't been great. Like Looney's been pretty rough this year. I mean, maybe they'd still want to keep him around. They could have moved Sar- Dario for a slightly better player attached, like, a few second round picks to it. I mean, this is one of those trade deadlines where every single one of the bottom seven or eight teams in the NBA was highly willing to get off anyone other than their best couple of young prospects for just contracts and draft picks, you know, like this was not a trade deadline where it was particularly difficult to get a decent rotation player because a lot of teams got one. So I'm just, I'm surprised the Warriors didn't at least do that. I mean, as far as a bigger move, it would have been trying to move the Wiggins contract for, I don't know, like a Kyle Kuzma or something. But that would have been, you probably would have had to attach a lot of draft picks to make something like that happen. Wiggins is like close to untradeable. Yeah, unless you want to give up assets. And the, and the Warriors have basically signaled like, no, we're not, like we're not moving future pieces. Like the the, the Warriors front office is is like... I get it, but at the same time, like Curry's 36 and has what two or three more years at most at this level. Like, yeah, you know, I, I understand you don't want to give up your future, but at the same time, like, if you have a team with a superstar player that is clearly not good enough right now and he's going to retire or decline, his play is going to decline over the next few years and he's not going to be giving you this level of play, then I, I kind of feel like what's what's the point? holding on to anything but. yeah they've gone a five and three in their last chunk of games the wiggins looney draymond front line has actually started playing defense again which is which has spurred this little winning streak i think like i don't think you can trade wiggins i think you have to try to get him to play better like you like like everyone yeah. wants to trade the guy who's underperforming i was like that's the hardest time to trade someone like like it would be way easier if Wiggins was like was was dominating. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess the question for me is, and then you wouldn't want to trade him. Would the Warriors be willing to 
attach significant draft assets to try to maintain their championship window. And I mean, at least for this season, the answer was no. There were guys that were gettable if you were willing to attach enough first-round picks, right? I think uh, Kuzma was gettable, and I think Jeremy Grant would have been. Yeah, I mean, this is a Golden State's a very expensive team, so a guy like Jeremy Grant is just like, wait, like that's a that's a huge contract to bring in to add to giant stacks of huge contracts. Like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, like, I, like they probably could have got Xavier though. Tillman. Say what? Clay's an expiring though. Yeah, but I bet they'll resign Clay. Not like to it, like not for forty million a year. No, but well, a, a, make, a make Clay, cute contract. Clay might think it's good for that. Much. I mean, I think he understands how bad he's been, but like, I think yeah, he also probably wants to be rewarded for, like, they still have one hundred and seventy-four million in, in in payroll next year because they got fifty-five million going to Curry, thirty million going to Paul, twenty-six million going to Wiggins, twenty-four million going to Draymond, and then they still they've got a, a nine million player option on Gary Payton, an eight million. On Looney, they've got Kaminga, who will become extension eligible, and Moody becoming extension eligible. Like they're in a, they're. I think they were in a tough place, and I didn't see the like one piece that was going to make a trade work that would actually improve their playoff chances. I think their best playoff chances is like it's like play better. <laughs> Hope Clay gets hot for a stretch. Hope Wiggins can like find his way out of this. Like Wiggins can clearly play better than he's been playing now. And keep giving more minutes to Pajemski and Kaminga, who have been killing it. Like, like, yeah. like, try to try, try to make Kaminga your second best player on offense. Like, yeah, I mean, less like, Wiggins, less Clay, more Pods, more. Now, continuing on the same theme in the Lakers, I felt the same thing about them because any Lakers pick I saw was like, we're going to trade D'Angelo, Russell, and one draft pick for whatever we want. And it was like, no one wants D'Angelo Russell. He is incredibly crucial to your offense right now. Like if you're really going to make another trade, if you're really going to trade your best shooter for like Deontay Murray or just like a worse shooter or, or whatever, just like, are you really going to make this mistake again where you upgrade your star power and make your team way less functional? They didn't want to trade Austin Reeves. So after that, I just like, like what are we're talking about a, a draft pick and like Gabe Vincent's contract for, like no one wants Rui Hachimura. They didn't have anything to trade outside of their draft picks, and and everyone was holding firm. On, there wasn't like a good thing out there or matching salary to go back on the Lakers. I felt the Lakers yeah. were stuck. Like they built out their team how they kind of wanted it, and now they just kind of have to live with this roster that they built around it, like a super aging superstar. Oh man, you know, don't want to credit us too much, but I just feel like we called this a little bit. Yeah, we did. We were right about the Lakers, and and we were bold enough to be like, I mean, the Lakers actually, like, you know, like I think we both had them maybe missing the play in. They're still sort of like, yeah, I had them eleven strong. Left. I mean, they're not far off. I think like better. here's the thing that I think. Could, I mean, Utah just took a little mini step back in terms of their their like pursuit, so they could um stop pushing the Lakers. But the, like the big thing that I think could happen in the West is that like Houston could stop playing Jalen green and then just be a lot better than golden state and LA. <laughs> like, like, like Houston's a really good team that just like basically starts with yeah. a 10 point handicap. Cause they play like a really awful young player who can't play any defense and like eats up a lot of their offense to be, to make it inefficient. So if, if Ime Udoka is just like, I want to make the playoffs. Please let me bench Jalen Green. I think Houston will do, like you know they'll they'll go fourteen well, and two over. Yeah, yeah. That's Sounds actually like uh, 
he was available. It just they didn't want to trade him unless they're getting a pretty significant upgrade and just weren't weren't able to make that happen. I think that it's all like I think they've already missed the window on Jalen Green. I think I think he's like I think his stock is really low in the NBA and people are like people know how quick these scoring guards just go poof overnight. Like sometimes like one night you're on a team that's letting you take 15 shots a game and you're like putting up stats that kind of look like you're a good player. And then the minute that you don't have that role anymore, you're just like, Oh, I eat up possessions to shoot 40%. Like want to pay me a big contract and give me lots of minutes. By the way, I don't play any defense and I don't pass. Like, like I, I think there's like, I yeah. like there's a lot of guards like that in the NBA. It's just, there's kind of like a Mendoza line. If you can create shots for yourself, against a set defense that is efficient enough to justify it, you know, like a Jordan Clarkson, or if it's not, you know, and if, if you're below whatever that bar is, whatever that line is, that turns you from a, you know, semi-valuable player who has a place on a good team to just a guy who no one's really going to be interested in. Yeah. Now Jalen Green has been playing really well lately. Like not every game, but he's had a whole bunch of like 30 point games where he's like, you know, shot really efficiently from the field. And he still does like he's got crazy bursts. Like it is like he is oh, one yeah. of the most explosive first steps in the NBA. So I'm not saying Jalen Green is is done, but like he has not he has yet to build a useful NBA game around his elite physical gifts. And I think right now it's more like can he salvage his career and become someone like Jordan Clarkson? Cause I, I'm like, I think NBA star is off the table. Like he just hasn't shown enough in, in, in his first three years. And so I don't really I, here for the last two playing spots you have, I'm assuming the Mavericks are going to be better after this trade mm-hmm. and maintain their position. But you got the Lakers, Warriors, Rockets over two spots. You know, do you think it's just Lakers and Warriors there or does one of those teams drop out? I mean, I think I think it's I think there are I think Lakers, Warriors, and Houston. It's I think it's three teams for two spots to get into that play in. Yeah. So I'm wondering which one drops out. I think if Houston stops playing Jalen Green, they will get one <laughs> of those spots. <laughs> All right. If they don't, I think that I'll trust the vets. I just think it will come down to like I just I'm, you know what? I'm I'm gonna stick to our preseason predictions and I think the Lakers drop out. I think Warriors there's no Rockets way for the yeah. for the eight seed. There's there's I, I just I you can't con, you can't convince me that we're really going to have this full season of like perfect health for LeBron and AD. That just that's it, it, that can't happen, right? That would be such a miracle. Hey, we're seeing a bigger miracle in Phoenix with Houston Rockets. So that's true. Yeah, sometimes the year in the NBA, <laughs> for some guys, yeah, not not in Memphis, but uh, for some players. Teams, Players really do not like stars. Do not want to miss making the All NBA team. That that much is clear because they are like they are trying to play. I can't believe how much people are complaining about. It. You see a lot of fans still complaining about like load management and rest. Like when whenever a guy's just like legitimately injured, now you have a whole mm-hmm. section of fans just being like, like what are they doing? How like they're betraying the people who bought the tickets to see them live? Like. I, I, I like Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid just like injured his knee. He's he's sitting out tonight because he's hurt. Like, well, you um, know my take on this. If the NBA wants people to get hurt less, figure out a way to reduce the pace of play, and I think I think that would do wonders for player safety. But yeah, yeah, the the amount of movement that goes into a typical offensive set now is just so players crazy. Just, to... Players run twice as much. They're they're putting twice as many miles on their legs than they did in a basketball yeah. game 
20, 30 years ago, you know? Yeah. You go back and watch like a nineties or two thousands game. And just like the amount of like the amount of standing around on offense, the players would get to do. And then like, obviously the defense moves with offense. So it's just like, you know, you would get one guy attacking, you'd run one little side action and you'd have like two players who kind of taking the possession off unless one thing happens and there's like a counter set or something like that. But, but mm-hmm. now you see like, you see three screeners on the on a on a typical strong side possession and then and then like something happening on the weak side like one of those screeners ends up going over to the weak side to run a secondary action you have ca- and that's just like that's just running that means the defense is moving all the time it's like yeah yeah i i, I agree I, I i've come to i've done a lot of reading on this by people who actually know stuff <laughs> i don't but mm-hmm. i've read a lot of articles and stuff and i I've very much come to the the position that paradox paradoxically, if you allow more physicality in the NBA game, you actually see a reduction in injuries, at least in these soft tissue injuries that are mostly tied to the amount of running and jumping that happens. So, yeah, I mean, makes intuitive sense to me. I will not push back on the experts this time. Um, are there any yeah. other any other teams that you felt like were relevant to talk about? No, it, it was nice. I. I it's cool that like a bunch of teams in the West did a little bit of like fortification, right? Like, you know, just, I, I, I like to see teams gearing up for a playoff race by making like smart kind of mid tier uh, additions. I do think the, the West got stronger than like the pickups made the Western teams better once again. And, and, and not so much the Eastern conference teams, but yeah, I'm excited to be on the, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious about what this trade deadline did for the Knicks. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying nothing happened in the East. Just sort of like I'm looking at, uh, you know, Gordon Hayward, uh, Monte Morris, Phoenix adding a couple of players, Dallas adding a couple of players. And then in the the West, you have, sorry, in the East, you got Boston adding Xavier Tillman, got Milwaukee adding Patrick Beverly, New York making a trade of significance, Philadelphia adding Buddy Heald. I just think it seems like the Western teams all like, I think they got better. I think the teams in the outside of New York and the East, like, yeah, maybe it's like some decent little upgrades here and there. I mean, Toronto got Kelly Olenek. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're making a play on with that spacing five. Yeah. I mean, Toronto should make the play in, um, I would imagine at this point for sure. Oh, no. Actually, one one team that we didn't talk about not making a trade was the Chicago Bulls. Oh yeah, nothing on nothing on Caruso, DeRozan, Levine. They are once again standing pat. Committed to mediocrity. Yeah, I I thought I mean Levine injury like confused things. I've heard they don't have any interest in getting rid of Caruso, and I'm like, yeah, I mean Caruso is really good. People want to like steal Caruso. They're like, you're not a competitive team. You have to give us your competitive players for cheap, and they're like, yeah, like pay pay us for him. Like I'm sure they would trade Caruso if you made like an offer that represented Caruso's value. Or it's like I'm pretty sure Alex Caruso can completely transform your point of attack defense and drastically change your championship odds. So pay us like assets for that, and 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 teams didn't bite. So yeah, I, I mean I don't I don't blame I don't blame Chicago if no one really put forth a really awesome offer for Caruso. The DeRozan thing is weird though. Like I I guess they have to extend DeRozan now this off season. He's not, he's good. I wouldn't he's be old. super excited about that, but yeah, I mean, let's think. I mean, he, he's a, he's getting up there in age now. He's he's thirty four. 
he's quietly just like not an efficient scorer this season. And, and we know that's like all he does. The, the playmaking has continued to get, Oh, who on the Bulls other than Kobe White is an efficient scorer? No, but I mean, Rose's whole thing was like, too. yeah, yeah. And I mean, Vooch just can't shoot threes anymore. So it's just like, it's kind of unclear what what he does. Because, I mean, he's still like a, a big body that is like smart and skilled. But if there's just like no shooting yeah, as he, part of that equation, no rim pressure. Yeah. Mid-range, mid-range shooter Vooch. He's like a mid-range mm-hmm. shooting rebounder. It's like... Like, you know, I'd rather have Jonas Valanciunas at this point or something. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it's just not that valuable of a thing to have on your roster. But yeah, no, I think that that wraps up the trade deadline for me. I'm excited that we now get to, I guess, like All Star comes up really soon, and then and then we actually get to start caring about like the playoff and play in race, which is I, I get more interested in the NBA. After all this, all this nonsense is over. All the, all these, all these Gen Z with their trade deadlines and their All Star games. Like, I just want to watch basketball. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just. I think my biggest takeaway is I'm just. I'm really curious about the Knicks. What it'll look like. What their offense will look like. Yeah. I've I've spent this whole season just kind of resigned to the fact that it's like you know we we pretty much have Boston and then you know Milwaukee and Philly and Miami with an outside shot in the Eastern Conference, and I just think the New York Knicks are potentially like a real player in that now. I think especially with the Embiid injury, because I was thinking that yeah, Philly wasn't going to look as good as Boston in the in the in the regular season. But like I just really trust Nick Nurse in the playoffs as a coach to kind of push the right buttons and just keep Joel Embiid unguardable. And now that with Embiid's injury throwing Philly into like maybe they won't even have home court advantage in the first round and who, who maybe we'll get Embiid back, but he'll once again be kind of hurt in the playoffs and mm-hmm. not that good. I think teams like like Milwaukee with their like complete like they've got massive holes in the roster and like they've got a good record now, but it's like I don't think anyone's that afraid of Milwaukee. I think New York has every reason to be like, maybe we're the second best team in the East. Maybe we can make the conference finals this year. And maybe we make the conference finals and, and Jason Tatum gets an injury or something like that, where it's like, I think New York's smart to like smell an opportunity for things. I, say, to I right think right. if anyone on the Celtics is going to get hurt, it's probably most likely Chris Dobbs, but. No, for sure. I'm just mean like, you know, something that would drastically change the odds. Anyone, anyone can get hurt. We are all, we are all mortal. Um, so, and I mean, Cle- Cleveland too, you know, Cleveland has been uh, Cle- like Cleveland should be like trying to position themselves to make a deep playoff run. They didn't trade anything. Yeah, I, I thought they were going to do something today and didn't happen. So, I mean, they just got like their two, like they're like two of their four best players back. So I don't know yeah. if they're like, like, do we really need more new players to integrate? We kind of have to figure out ourselves. But there's still, like they're a deeper still, team this year. Yeah, so we're still in the midst of the Sam Merrill Assance. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's that's helping Cleveland's. You know, Cleveland turned into this just like three point jacking, you know, high flying offensive machine with with Garland and Mobley out. You know, just a, a complete complete change for them because they were just like this slow plotting mid-range jumper acquiring team i mean if when donovan mitchell can get to the hoop a bunch he's really good at kick out passing oh yeah um when you play two bigs with him into that with mobley out yeah it's it's like it's amazing to watch how like just how low he gets to the ground on his drives. Like he just like mm-hmm. he just shrinks down to a like like all of a sudden he's like four inches tall, like running between and then just exploding into the air and like 
He's a, it's, he's a crazy athlete. You know, what, what do people talk about? Like, like ankle flexibility or whatever. Like, I bet he's got great ankle flexibility. He like, I bet that, like, yeah. I bet his toe is touching his, his shin on some of those drives. Cause he gets, he gets so low and he's so shifty on those. So I think it's more like, yeah, I mean, with how well he's played as a lead initiator with Garland out, I almost wonder if they're like going to rethink Garland. Unless Garland, if Garland can come back and shoot better, I don't know. I'm really interested in Cleveland. I want to, I want to see how things go. Like Dean Wade uh, was hurt last year. Now they've got Wade and Niang and Max Cruz and Sam Merrill. Just like, um, I, I, I hope they can, I, I want to see them make it work in the playoffs. I mean, because obviously they're making it work right now in the regular. They've, they, they've lost one game in their last like 17 games or something. Yeah, no, Eastern Conference playoffs should be fun this year. Yeah. More fun than usual, anyway. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right, well, thanks for listening to all our immediate trade deadline thoughts. Try your best to remember that ball is life. And we'll talk at you next time.